This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granillo. The story broke on this day one year ago. The country's first confirmed case of COVID-19 landed in Washington. Snohomish County Health Officer Dr. Chris Spitters delivered the news. The gentleman is a Snohomish County resident, and he is uh, currently at Providence Medical Center. That 35-year-old man had touched down in Seattle just a few days prior after flying in from Wuhan, China. At that time, there were only six known deaths from the novel coronavirus. A year later, COVID-19 has killed more than 400,000 victims in the U.S. Dr. George Diaz treated that first COVID patient. He's an infectious disease specialist at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett. And Dr. Diaz, can you take us back to that moment when you first learned about our patient one? Yes, uh, we had uh, been expecting um, patients to come to the U.S. with COVID. So we had done a lot of preparation within our hospital and our health system to be ready for patients like this. Uh, So we had already done large drills at our hospital when we got the call to um, admit this patient and that we had the first patient in the U.S., we were obviously surprised. Uh, you know, you often do preparations and then never, nothing happens. But in this case, uh, we got the call that we would be uh, admitting this patient. So uh, our, tr- our thoughts turned to activating all of our protocols and getting our ch- checklist done so we could uh, make sure that we were ready uh, when he came. What precautions did you take? And, and were you aware at the time just how infectious this particular virus was? Uh, We weren't exactly sure, um, although we had started really looking into this in December when the first reports were coming out of China. And what we we had heard was that it it appeared to be quite contagious. And we had heard that there were uh, substantial lockdowns going on in China because of the rapid spread. So uh, while we didn't know specifics, uh, we were very concerned this was going to be contagious uh, and likely deadly. We had heard about some deaths already. We elected to use our Ebola precautions. Um, That's the highest level of isolation that we have available. Uh, And we had drilled on that. Given the uncertainties of the infectiousness and the mortality of the virus, uh, we felt that we should take the highest level of precautions. And so we trained on uh, the Ebola precautions that, that had been in place for several years. And that's what we prepared for. Can you elaborate on that, Dr. Diaz? I mean, I, I've heard stories about, you know, robots going in there to to treat this first patient. Yeah, so the Ebola precautions are, are quite intense. Uh, it requires standing up a special pathogens unit, uh, which was a two-bed unit that we created at our hospital. Uh, it required very specific airflow uh, very specific uh, PPE use, uh, and we did use our telehealth robot, which was uh, a standard health unit that was inside the patient's room. Uh, the idea for this was to try to reduce exposures as much as possible. Uh, the nursing staff that provided direct patient care wa- were in the room with them, but any other uh, caregivers that, that needed to interact with the patient could use the robot, including myself. And so on the first day when he arrived, uh, we turned on the robot, they wheeled uh, the robot to the patient's bedside, and I could do an exam with a stethoscope that's built in on the, on the robot, uh, as well as take a history from him, uh, you know, visually using the robot screen. Wow. And did you did you sound the alarm? Did you did you call the state government? Did you call the federal government to say, hey, it's here, let's do something? Uh, they called us. So the, the patient had presented to one of our clinics the day before, and uh, because of his history, he was very upfront about the fact that he had traveled 
uh, to Wuhan and he was there visiting family. Uh, and when he got sick, he um, immediately went and reported his symptoms. So he was very compliant. And with his history, the clinic appropriately got him tested with the help of the county health district. Uh, and those samples were then sent on to the CDC and uh, resulted overnight. So it, it was the next day that we were advised by the CDC that they wanted us to admit the patient for observation. Did everything that happened stem from that one case? Or are we thinking now that a lot of people entered the country simultaneously with the virus, and that's how the spread started? Yeah, so the the county health department did a, an extensive contact tracing uh Basically, you know, working backwards, uh, the patient himself was extremely compliant and open about everything he had done for the few days he was at home uh, before he came to the hospital. And so they were able to trace all the steps and uh, did uh, contact tracing with, I think, around 60 people that might have been exposed. uh, and, And none of those persons turned positive. Uh, you know, what we know now uh, is that um, at, at the time that our patient was diagnosed, there were likely probably thousands of other patients in the U.S. that were COVID positive that we didn't know about, uh, in part due to the, the difficulty we had with testing initially. Dr. Diaz, I wonder if you can reflect on this week's milestone when the country surpassed 400,000 deaths. What does it mean to you from your perspective as the doctor who treated the country's first confirmed case? Yeah, you know, a year out from our first patient, uh, we have a pretty grim uh, outcome so far with 400,000 Americans dead from the virus and countless others who are debilitated from the effects after the infection. Uh, We've struggled as a country um, with dealing the pandemic, maybe more so than any other country on earth. uh, And it's likely a result of the fact that we aren't a unified country and the messaging that was coming from the federal government with respect to masks and public health measures were employed at some places and not very well at others. And, you know, thankfully, within the state of Washington, we have a governor's office that has been working very closely with public health. And the messaging for Washingtonians has been uh, aligned um, locally. And I think that's helped us avoid some of the dramatic uh, problems that have occurred in other states. Uh, but it's really, you know, mostly sadness uh, about the people that have died. I, I think most of us know people that have had the infection or even died. Uh, so this is affecting our entire community. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not slowing down nationwide. So this is something that will be with us until we get our whole uh, country vaccinated. Did this have to happen or could it have been prevented? Well, I think there were likely going to be deaths in the U.S. regardless. But, you know, when you compare the responses to other advanced nations, and we're an advanced nation. We have, uh, you know, the highest uh, health care resources in the world. Many patients come from around the world to receive medical care in the U.S. Uh, Most of the um, pharmaceutical companies that have invented therapeutics that we're currently testing um, are, um, are made in the U.S., Um, And so we have a really uh, huge advantage uh, starting out uh, with the resources we had. And when you compare to other countries that have similar resources, for example, South Korea or Taiwan or Japan, uh, their responses have been one of national unity where the entire population is uh, on the same page with respect to how they're dealing with this virus. And unfortunately, we haven't been. uh, And the results from that are evident. Of course, we have a new administration now, you know, speaking about unity. 
But as you mentioned, Dr. Diaz, we are incredibly divided as a nation. So are we are we in too deep already to reverse the course of the pandemic? Or can this new Biden administration create positive change in containing the spread? Well, firstly, for us to get past the pandemic, we have to have our population vaccinated. And I think that the new administration is it appears to be making the right moves with respect to uh, a national game plan for getting our folks vaccinated. Uh, that will be welcome news uh, within our state for sure. Uh, but there are unfortunately many people in our country uh, that are uh, exposed to disinformation uh, and believe false things about this vaccine that's unsafe when in fact uh, we're quite certain that it's safe and effective. And those beliefs may be pretty well baked in, and it may be difficult to convince people to get their vaccines. Uh, and in those areas where these beliefs are strongly held, uh, those areas will be a continued source of ongoing uh, infections and deaths. How frustrating is that for you to, to know that there is so much disinformation and misinformation about the vaccine? Uh, it's a huge problem, and it directly makes my job worse. Because uh, for people that don't wear masks or don't socially distance or don't follow the guidelines from public health, uh, those are the people that are coming to our hospital, uh, you know, extremely ill. Uh, our staff, our, our medical and nursing staff, respiratory therapists have been dealing with this for the past year. Uh, and much of this can be avoided by human behavior. Uh, and so... Uh, as people don't do the things they should be doing, like getting vaccinated, it's putting more burden on people on the front lines. There is intense pressure to reopen schools and, of course, to reopen businesses. Would it be ethical at some point, once the vaccine's available to anybody who wants it, to say, okay, those of you who didn't get it, that was your choice, but we're going to reopen and uh, we'll wear masks, but uh, we can't keep the society closed down because of you? Well, you know, I hope we get to that point, you know, because I think that, for example, uh, restaurants, for example, um, you know, it's a privilege to be able to go to a restaurant, sit down and eat. And, you know, if if there's a, a portion of the population that's vaccinated and we know that they're safe in, you know, a crowd, perhaps it makes sense to say, for example, uh, you know, well, if you're vaccinated, we can prove it. You can go to a restaurant or a gym. Uh, you know, your kids can go to school. And for those people that choose to be vaccinated, uh, perhaps, you know, they're choosing to have their children be uh, at perpetual homeschool, uh, right? I mean, most places require vaccinations for measles, mumps, and rubella uh, and, and, and don't allow children to attend school if they don't agree to be vaccinated uh, because, you know, they're not only risking themselves, but they're risking the population. So I have not heard much uh, in this direction yet, but I would imagine that that would be something that would be considered uh, as we move forward, because I think people that are doing the right things, being getting vaccinated, wearing masks, socially distancing, uh, it, they should be able to get back to a normal life if they no longer pose a risk to the population. You know, beyond the the main question right now of when am I eligible for a vaccine? The other top question that I get the most from friends and family is when do we get back to normal? So, so what is your expectation speaking as an infectious disease doctor and do we ever fully get back to where we were pre COVID days? Uh, I think it's possible for us to get back there. It, it really means that we have to have 90 or 95% of our population vaccinated. 
uh, I think if if that's the case, then we could probably safely reopen, you know, our entire economy, um, you know, as it was pre-COVID. Uh, but that that really takes a national effort, um, and in Washington, a full state effort to get everyone vaccinated. Right now, we are still waiting on you know vaccine shipments from the federal government. Uh, the governor has been working on you know mass vaccination programs around the state uh, to get up over a million or two you know per day nationally. Uh, so this is something that uh, I think is certainly possible. It's going to be a lot of effort, uh, and it really takes our community to be fully on the same page to get there. Although I think we're going to have trouble getting people to accept the idea of carrying some sort of ID card. That's the only drawback drawback I see with that plan. Yeah, it would have to be secure. You know. Uh, we currently use the Washington State Registry to um, administer vaccines. So, for example, at Providence, if I if we vaccinate somebody at Providence, uh, th- that vaccination record goes into a Washington State Registry, which is, you know, a a record for the entire state. Uh, and so, if someone gets vaccinated somewhere else, we can look on the registry and see if they've been vaccinated elsewhere. Uh, I, I would imagine that could be securely tied to something like your driver's license, uh, so that people would be, you know securely able to find out if, if, if one is vaccinated or not. Um, the the thought right now is that this new contagious variant of COVID could be the dominant strain in the United States in, in a month or two. As far as I know, uh, we don't have any confirmed cases of this variant here in our state. But how concerning is that, that there is this new, not, not any more deadly, but certainly more contagious strain circulating around the country now? Yeah, it's extremely concerning. Uh, you know, in the UK, where their variant was discovered, uh, it likely contributed to a major surge in that country um, with an increasing number of cases. Uh, not only that, but it shifted the the people that were getting infected. So because it's so much more contagious, uh, previously children who were uh, less likely to be infected just by their nature of their immune systems are, are now being more likely infected in the UK. And so this, this does affect... Uh, the population, you know, with a more contagious strain. Uh, that being said, the current vaccine that we have appears to be uh, likely safe and effective for that these variants as well. And so for those people that, that elect not to get vaccinated when their time comes, uh, their risk will likely be even higher than currently it is. Dr. George Diaz, who treated the first COVID patient, infectious disease specialist at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett. Dr. Diaz, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be back with you next Thursday to discuss the latest coronavirus news. You can subscribe to this podcast, and you can also find our news coverage on MyNorthwest.com or listen live at 97.3 FM.